chapter 9, 2 Kings chapter 9. You can look in your Bibles or you can look up on the screen, whichever is easier for you. One New Year's Day in the Tournament of Roses, there was a parade. It was a beautiful float that suddenly sputtered and quit. It was out of gas. The whole parade was held up because this one float ran out of gas. Now, here's the irony of the whole thing. The float belonged to the Standard Oil Company. Yeah, that's not so good when the Standard Oil Company float loses power. <laughs> but sometimes it happens for us in the, in the same way. We're not supposed to run out of some things that we have run out. We're not supposed to be missing some things that are missing in our life. But we're not harvesting the way that we should. We're not neglecting. We're ne we've neglected the harvest. We've neglected the things that the Word of God has told us to do. Some things we just thought would be automatic. And they just happen. But the Word of God doesn't teach us that. Over the course of this series, we have been looking at tithing. The tithing is not what we declare it to be. The tithe is what God declared it to be. And you do not have the power to increase it or decrease it. It is just as wrong to call a tithe 5% as it is to call it 20. Because God declared it to be a tenth. Now, see, if you, if you don't, you got to get the whole package of what the Word of God is delivering here. What God is saying is what you have, what comes on the increase, 10% of that is His. That's the tithe. And we bring that to Him. Once we bring that to Him, what is, what is the ownership of the other 90%? It is yours. It is not God's. Some people get overly spiritual and they say, well, it all belongs to God. No, it does not. He declared 10% of it his. The rest of it is yours. You do with it as you want. In the New Testament, when they ran in, had the guy run into problems with some money, what did Peter say to him? When it was yours, when you sold the piece of property, when it was yours, was it not yours to do with as you wanted? But he declared it to be something and then didn't live up to it. And that was a problem. Some people say that uh, I want to get to a place, and it sounds spiritual, I want to get to a place where I'm tithing 50% of my money. It sounds good, doesn't it? It's wrong. It's wrong. You can get to the place where you give 50% of your income, but not where you tithe 50%. Tithing is 10%. That's what it is. You bring the tithe to God. If you, if, if you don't get this mentality, this is where we get in the problem. People come and they bring their tithes and they designate it for this and they designate it for this and I'm going to split it up and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. Then it's yours. And you are delegating it as you wish. You see, if you don't, if you haven't, until you get rid of that, you haven't actually tithed. And until you tithe, you can't give an offering. And until you give an offering, you haven't sown. Tithing is not sowing. Bringing of offerings is sowing. So people get it all messed up, and then they start giving and looking for results certain ways, but the way the Bible promised, and it's not happening. That's because we're not doing it right. What happens to the tithe? What does the Word of God say about the tithe? You bring it into the storehouse. That's what it is. You just bring it into the storehouse. There it is. We bring it. So don't designate tithe. After that, you designate it. I'm going to sow this, and you designate what it is. And we talked about how to target a, a harvest and things like that. Because God is interested in targeting a harvest. God always had a harvest in mind whenever he gave something. He sowed his son to reap something, didn't he? to bring a harvest in. So we've got to follow God's example. 
But we sometimes just get these ideas and we pull them out of a hat and we expect it to work. We expect it to, to, to go and to, and to do that. You know, some people, they work with electronic devices and they just think, well, because I think it ought to work this way, it ought to. Right? But that's not necessarily the case. It's supposed to work the way it has said it would work. It is supposed to work the way that the manufacturers made it to work. Not the way that you want it to work. You may want that phone to work if you talk to it. But if the manufacturer didn't make it to do that, then it's not going to do that, is it? They, they got some phones out there now. All you got to do is talk to them. I don't know if you know about this. They just released a new phone. And you don't even have to have it on. Have you seen that one? Don't even have to have it on. All you have to do is speak and the phone listens. But here's the kicker. It listens for your voice. Somebody else can talk and it won't, it won't do anything. But if it hears you talk and if you tell it to do something, it'll wake up and it'll do whatever you said to do. You can be in the room. The phone can be on the other side of the room. You can say, call so-and-so. And your phone, knowing your voice, will call so-and-so. Isn't that cool? <laughs> now, now, you may want your phone to do that, but it may not, just because it wasn't me, maybe made to do that. But uh, oh, they're just getting some, some fun things to do. But you've got you to gotta, you gotta read the manual. You've got to find out what's it made to do, how's it made to do it, and so forth. We've got to read the manual, what God said to do with our, with our money. He's very concerned about your money. I've heard people say the only topic he talked about more than money is prayer. I think that's what I might have a flip. Maybe, maybe he might talk about money more than prayer. But they're, right up, they're both right up there. God's concerned about money. How, much, how many of you are concerned about money? Okay, the rest of you are lying. <clears throat> if you weren't concerned about money, you wouldn't show up at work, would you? If you weren't concerned about money, you wouldn't balance your checkbook. If you weren't concerned about money, you wouldn't cut coupons. Look for sales. Right? Why do you do that? Because <laughs> you're concerned about money. There's nothing wrong with being concerned about money. God's concerned about your money. That's why he taught you about it. It's good. He's, he's trying to open up things for you. But once you tie, you can then bring offerings. When you bring offerings, you sow those offerings. There's a harvest on those offerings. There is something that comes to you on the tithe as well. But it's different from what is coming in on the offering. But both are good. <laughs> both are good. He just says, trust them. Trust them. Well, that's all just stuff we had gotten into before. Last time we were together, we weren't, of course, doing this last week. We had Marty out here last week, but uh, sure appreciate all the way, all the work you folks put into having those meetings work and coming on out for that. It was a wonderful time having Brother Marty here. But last time we were looking at, two weeks ago, we were looking at the prodigal son. And we took a look at this from the standpoint. Remember we asked the question, which son got the inheritance? And the answer is both. Both sons got the inheritance. We went back to the scripture and we saw that when the younger son asked for the inheritance, the father went, around, went out and divided his inheritance between them. He gave the inheritance to them. The word is them. It's not him. So at that point, the older son had his, well, actually, he, the way that their customs were, he actually had a little bit more, but it was divided and the Younger son had his share. Older son had his share. And the younger son cashed it all in and went on a trip. The older son stayed back and worked in the field. And we looked at some of the things that had gone on with that. The older son saw the father as neglecting him. Because, well, you never gave me a kid. You never gave me a fatted calf. You never did this. You never put a ring on my finger. You never put a robe on my, my back. You didn't give me a party for my friends. 
And he had all these things he was holding against his father. This is all in the parable. Jesus made up this story. Understand when Jesus makes up the story, every part of it's important. He made it up. He's not telling you something that happened. He is making up a story. It is a parable. It's not a narrative. It's a parable. We went over to the parable of the neighbor asking for bread. We saw that most people look at that parable as being persistent asking. He came at midnight, knocked on the door, and most of us come away with the idea that the person was persistent, and that's why the guy got up and gave him the bread, except that that word doesn't mean that. The word in the Greek, only time it's ever used in the Greek New Testament is here. No other place except in this parable we're still reviewing from two weeks ago. Only time, it means one thing. One thing mainly, shamelessness. It was a shameless request. In the parable, we have three things that are mentioned. First off, the time. What time did the man come to the friend's house? Midnight. We know that because that's important, right? The second thing, we know the relationship. The relationship between the two, their neighbors, and they are friends. So that's important. We know what the need was. The need was for a traveler who came in. was not that he was not prepared for his own household. Someone came in and surprised him. And he was not ready for that surprise. And so he came to ask for help for that. That's all that we're told. How many times did he knock on the door? We don't know, do we? Does it say that he knocked on the door more than once? No. It doesn't say how many times he knocked on the door. He may have knocked on the door more than once, but it doesn't say. If Jesus doesn't say how many times he knocked on the door, is it important? No. What's important is the time, the relationship, and the need. The word means a shameless request. So he brought that back over to the parable of the prodigal son. And if you are a younger son and you came to dad and said, Dad, I realize that when you die, I will get roughly half of all this, but I'm not willing to wait until you die. I want it now. How many think that is a shameless request? (laughs) I think that's a shameless request. But did the father say, well, how dare you? You just wait until I'm um, good and done with the inheritance and then you'll get it when I die. He didn't say that, did he? He said, okay. (laughs) Sometimes we got to understand that God is not afraid of shameless requests. But we got to ask. So in the parable with the man coming at midnight, his persistence is perceived, but it's not emphasized. We don't know how many times he, we, we sort of assume that he didn't just ask once, but it's not in the story. So then we began to look at the older son. And while we first looked at the younger son, the younger son, when he first came and he asked that shameless request, he was bold. When he came back, he was timid. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired servant. So forth. But the father would have nothing to do with that. And he, of course, made him a son because he still was a son. And we went into some of the things that the father had said. On that, but why did he suddenly become timid? Because suddenly he thought he was not worthy. In the beginning, he thought he was worthy to get his inheritance before his father died. Now that it's all gone, he comes back to the house. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. It is our view of our worthiness that hinders us from shameless requests because we view ourselves as not worthy. Why are we worthy? Is it because of what you've done? Is it because of how good you've lived? How long you've been a Christian? How much of the Bible you've read? Is it any of those things at all? Why are you worthy? 
because of what Jesus did. And there is nothing you can do to change what he did. So therefore, can you be ever unworthy? Not as long as you keep coming back and letting Jesus Christ cleanse you from all your sins. Because then it's his worthiness that we wear. That's what we've got to keep in mind. The older son was never bold. And he, he was very mindful. Was, this, was the older son not mindful of what he did not have? I never had a fetid calf. I never had a young goat. I never had a party. I didn't have a ring. I didn't have a robe. He's very mindful of what he doesn't have. This is the problem that we focus on the younger son and his return, but Jesus was just as much teaching about the attitude of the older son as he was the younger. And too many times, Christians, we have the attitude of the older son where I have been in the fields. I'm reminding God I have been working. I have been faithful. Every day I go out there, every day I come in late. I'm not out there with my friends. I'm not out there squandering your stuff. And do you do anything for me? And the father's response was, boy, I have neglected you. Man, I don't know how I missed that. I, I'm not doing the things that I should. Is that the father's response? He says, what? Look around. Everything that's here is yours. If you want a fatted calf, go get it. <laughs> if you want a goat, go get it. If you want a ring, you know where they are. If you want to put a robe on, put a robe on. Everything that is mine, everything that is here, everything that you see is yours. See, we don't have that attitude as Christians. Is this not what Jesus is teaching? Is he not the one who came up with this parable? Is he not the one teaching these things? Well, let's go on to this one. I put a couple of things here in your outline. I just wanted you to get, get hold of before we, we tackle this, this aspect of it. But many people are walking in adequate provisions thinking that they are blessings. I want to explain that a little bit. Some people, many Christians, are walking around with adequate provisions thinking that they are blessings. What's an adequate provision? Your, car's paid for, your car loan is paid for. Your house mortgage is paid for. Your electric bill is paid for. Your food bill paid for. Even got a little bit extra, you can go out to the movies here and there if you want to. Right? Where do we see that as? Blessing of God. We'll even go around saying it. It's a blessing of God. You know what it is? Adequate, adequate provisions. Now, God is not against you having adequate provisions. But is that ever God's goal? God's, God's goal is for you to be a blessing. What was God's promise to Abraham? Abraham, I am going to bless you and through you... I am going to bless all nations. God's purpose for his kids is for them to be a blessing to others. In order to be a blessing to others, you must have more than you need. If you don't have more than you need, you cannot bless other people. Jesus had a, had a treasury, and they gave money out of the treasury to the poor, which meant they had more than they needed. We can keep uh, just listening person after person. Did Joseph have more than he needed? He was going through adequate provisions for a while, but then when he got to be second in charge, did he have more than he needed? 
Oh yeah, he sure did. He was very well off. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, well off. But, uh, but for some other time, some other life, for Jacob, he did go through a, a while where he just had what he needed. But then he, he, he got it worked out. To, I mean, he worked for seven years for one wife, seven years for the other wife. When he came out of there, 14 years of work, what did he have? He had two wives. That's all he had, folks. 14 years of work and he had two wives. He only wanted one. <laughs> he got two. He then said, all right, now, I, I want you to stay on. We're going to get back into the story. This one and another one. There's, there's, there's something we have not learned from this that will help us in our walk in finances. And we're going to get into it more next week. We're not touching it this week. But this is part of what we're going to get into. But he, was, he, he made up another deal. He says, look, tell you what, you don't have any, I don't want any more wives. I don't care if you have any more daughters. I don't want any more wives. <laughs> 14 years, two wives is all we need. So he says, here's what we'll do. I'm going to, I want some stuff now. So when the flax bear spotted, I get all the spotted, the bear speckled, he did all, you know, the, the whole thing with that. And, um, and his flocks kept growing. And so when he left with his two wives, he had a lot of stuff. He had so much stuff that he made this huge welcoming present for his brother and sent that on ahead. That's how much stuff he had. But up the first 14 years, you know how much stuff he had? <laughs> not, not a whole lot. The two wives. When the children of Israel went through the wilderness, what did they have? Did they have the blessings of God? Did God bless them in the wilderness? No. He, he could not bless them in the wilderness. He wants to bless them, but he can't bless them in the wilderness. What did he do for them in the wilderness? Adequate provisions. You will gather enough manna for today. That's it. Don't keep any favor for tomorrow. The day before the Sabbath, you may gather twice as much. And it'll keep that time. But afterwards, after the day's over, you get rid of what you have. Adequate provisions. What's he telling them he's going to lead them to? A land flowing with milk and honey. It's a good land. He says you're going to inhabit cities that you didn't build. Houses, live in houses that you didn't build. This is what you're going to have. You're going to walk on in and most of this stuff is already done for you. That's a blessing. That's a, think about it this way. How, would it be a blessing for you if all of a sudden you walked into a neighborhood and they said, you see that house all built, all furnished? It's yours. <laughs> just, just, just walk in. Keys are on the counter. It's your house. Is that a blessing? Oh, yeah, that's a blessing. Yeah, that's what God was saying for the children of Israel. But they didn't have that out in the wilderness. The problem for the children of Israel was Adequate provision distracted them from abundant blessing. How many times did they say, oh, that we would be satisfied in the wilderness? Because to go into the land of flowing with milk and honey, there was trouble. It required their faith. It required their action. It required some things off of them. I put in your uh, outline here. Becoming content with daily provisions can keep us in the wilderness. The promised land is where the great blessing was, but that involved action pursuit, faith, battles. It involved listening. You had to listen to hear where God said to go, what to do, obeying, and more than just getting up and gathering. All they had to do in the wilderness was get up in the morning and gather. That's it. But in the promised land, they had a plan. They had to pursue. 
They had to listen. They had to hear from God. They had to obey. The blessings are not gathered. The blessings are not gathered. They are pursued. Now get this. I'll tell you what. If you, if you can get your eyes open up to this, it'll help you out. The blessings are not gathered. They are pursued. And they don't go bad. The blessings of God ever go bad? <laughs> no. Did the adequate provisions go bad? Mm-hmm. God, did, God arranged manna in such a way as to teach them a lesson and to teach us a lesson. We were to learn from some things from it as well. Now, there's some people in the Bible, we've already looked at some of these, people who seize their harvest opportunities, the disciples. When Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, was that an opportunity? Surely was. When they said to, to uh, Peter, James, and John, put your, your boats out there and launch out in the deep for a catch because he let them use the boat. Well, we fished all night, but at your word, we'll go ahead and do it. Now, he, of course, said, let down the nets, and they let down the net. Probably the oldest, weakest, poorest net that they had just to, well, you know, we'll just humor them a little bit and put it on out there and, and be obedient. And, of course, they got more fish than the net would hold. They had more fish than the boats would hold. The boats began to sink, and we just realized that God is not a very good planner. All right? I mean, he planned to give them more fish than their boats could hold. I mean, come on. That's just not good. When he fed 5,000, 5,000 men, you know, women, children, whatever else was there, uh, there was leftover, right? That's poor planning. No, it wasn't poor planning. He always gave more than was needed. When a blessing from God comes, it's more than adequate. And that's what God wants to do. So we saw that with the disciples. Abraham, God called him and said, Abraham, I want you to leave this land, remember, to a land that I will show you. Then he got stopped over at Haran. And God says to him again, Abraham, I want you to leave this land for a land that I will show you. And when he got to the land that God would show him, God changed the, lingui, the, the language. And he said, this land I will give you. There's a difference between showing and giving. So what changed? God said, when you leave. And he left it. The disciples asked the question when they had that problem with the rich young ruler. We have left all and followed you. And Jesus said to them, no one has left mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and lands and has not in, this, well, not in this life and the one to come inherit more. So Abraham left the land, the disciples left their stuff, and they were blessed for it. Isaac was told to leave a, a place, and he said, now don't go down to Egypt. In this land where there is famine, I want you to sow so he sowed in a land of famine, and the Word of God said that that year he reaped 100-fold return because he did what God said to do. Harvest does not just come automatically. If it did, then when the farmers here plant all the corn and we're getting to the time where they're going to harvest that corn, why doesn't the corn just jump into the barn? Why don't the tomatoes just pop themselves off the vine and roll up to your house? Because harvesting takes work. Everything that is harvested in the earth takes work. 
in the same way that sowing is an example, God uses it all the time about sowing and reaping, harvesting, reaping is work. It involves your action, it involves your faith, it involves your obedience, it involves your observation, it involves you listening. We looked at Joseph. Joseph had an opportunity. When he came, he seized it. Daniel had an opportunity. You're all going to be killed. Why? Because there's a dream and they couldn't tell the dream or the interpretation. Wait a minute. Do, do you tell him? Here's an opportunity. He seized it. He could have just sat back and said, well, I'll just wait for my harvest to come in. What did he do? No, no, no. <laughs> We're going to take this. We're going to take this harvest. You tell him, I'll have it for him. Do you have it now? No, I don't have it now, but I will. That's my opportunity. And that was an opportunity to put him on the map. And then God gave him more visions. And he, he caused him to increase so much so that the king was giving thought to putting Daniel over the whole realm. And then we had the story of Daniel in the lion's den. They decided we've got to get rid of this guy because he is too abundantly blessed. This is the man who was a prisoner. This is the man who was taken captive. They seized their opportunity. David seized his opportunity. What was his opportunity? He was given 400 men who were the scoundrels, who were in debt, who were depressed, who were out of it. No one cast offs. No one wanted them. He got 400 of these guys. And he seized that opportunity. <laughs> How many of you are seizing that opportunity? I think some of us would run the other way. What? This is what I get? <laughs> he seized the opportunity and turned them into some of the best fighting men. And they went out and they, they made raids on the enemies of Israel. And they got rich. 200 more were added to them. They got up to 600 people. Every time they would go into battle with 600 people, they'd come out with 600 people. They go in the next battle with 600 people, they come out with 600 people. They go in the next battle with 600 people, they come out with 600 people. The other side didn't come out with 600 people. They didn't come out with anybody. They wiped them all out. But they would go in with 600, they would come out with 600. And they would come out with a whole lot of stuff. They seize an opportunity. How many of us would have said, that's not an opportunity, that's a problem? 400 disgruntled, discontented people, in debt people. Mm. That is a problem. David saw it as an opportunity. God saw it as an opportunity. He took it. Too many times, God is trying to bring a harvest to us, and we're missing it. There are people who walked away from their harvest. The rich young ruler. Leave, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me, and you will have riches. He walked away sad. Saul had an opportunity. God would have made his throne an enduring throne, but he squandered it, and he didn't obey. Jeroboam had an opportunity. God would have made his throne an enduring throne but he squandered it. They had an opportunity to have a harvest and they walked away from it. We want you to learn how to, from the word of God, to observe when a harvest is in front of you and not to ignore it. Because sometimes they hide from us. 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 1. And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when you have arrived at the place... Look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among the associates and take him in an inner room. Jehu is one of three people that Elijah was supposed to anoint when he had that experience with God at the cave. Remember that? I have been faithful to the Lord. Everybody else has turned against you. I alone am left. And now they seek to take my life. And God says to him, I've got 7,000 beside you. If you want to step aside, one of them will happily take your place. Now, look, there's three people I want you to go out there and, and do. Elisha, I want him to take, be prophet in your place. Jehu to be king. And Hazael uh, to be king over Syria. 
Three people. You know how many he did? One. He anointed his replacement. He never anointed anyone else. God gave him three things to do. He did one. And he had a lot of years. He spent a lot of years getting Elisha ready. Never did the other two. We can find out why when we get up to heaven because the Bible doesn't tell us. So Elisha picked up this part of it. And so he, now he doesn't do it either. <laughs> he sends somebody, but at least he makes sure that it gets done. He called one of the sons of the prophets. Get yourself ready, take the flask of oil and go. So he went on out there. He found uh, Jehu, verse 3. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, The Lord said, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Israel is the northern ten tribes, not the southern tribes. <clears throat> then open the door and flee and do not delay. So the young man and the servant of the prophet went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he arrived, there were the captains of the army sitting. And he said, I have a message for you, commander. Jehu said, For which one of us? And he said, For you, commander. Then he arose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. How many? All. The whole house of Ahab shall perish. And I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. The dog shall eat Jezebel and the plot of ground of Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. And Jehu came out to the servants of his master, and one said to him, Is it well? Why did the madman come to you? <laughs> so you can see with their viewpoint and people that he's around, the viewpoint they have of, of uh, prophets. You know the man and his babble. Now, here's the thing. I don't know that Jehu believed that, but he was in a company of people who did believe it, and he'd rather just side with that. And they said, a lie. Tell us now. So he said, thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then each man hastened to take his garment, put it under him and on the top of the steps, and they blew a trumpet, saying, Jehu is king. They may have done this in a mocking way, but... <laughs> So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Jehoram, for Jehoram had been defending Ramoth Gilead, he and all of Israel against Hazael, king of Assyria. But King Jehoram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him when he fought with Hazael, king of Syria. And Jehu said, If you are so minded, let no one leave or escape from the city to go and tell it to Jezreel. So Jehu rode on a chariot and went to Jezreel, for Jehoram was there, was laid up there. And Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to see Jerome. Now a watchman stood on the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came. And he said, I see a company of men. And Jerome said, get a horseman and send him to meet them and let him say, is it peace? So the horseman went to meet him. Is it peace? So the horseman went to meet, me, I'm sorry, went to meet him. Thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu said, what have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported, saying, The messenger went to them, but he's not coming back. Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, Thus is the king. Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported, saying, He went up to them and is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. <laughs> I don't know what that looks like. I'm not, you know, I've, I've ridden horses like a handful of times. Not sure what it means to drive furiously, but apparently the way that he's riding, the way he's driving everybody with him, 
It is in a particular manner, manage, uh, way of going, and they're saying, it's Jehu. It's Jehu. Maybe you have somebody in your neighborhood drives a car a certain crazy way. Maybe it's something like that. Then Jerome said, make ready. And his chariot was made ready, and Jerome, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot, and they went out to meet Jehu and met him in the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Kind of know about this property, don't we? Now it happened when Jerome saw Jehu, he said, is it peace, Jehu? So he answered, what peace as long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many? Then Jerome turned around and fled and said to Ahaziah, treachery, Ahaziah. Then Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Jehoram between his arms and the arrow came out of his heart and he sank down in his chariot. Now if he's in his chariot, he's also in his armor. It's not a big deal for an arrow to, punct to puncture a person, but it is when they have armor on that's why it says he pulled it back with full strength. Jehu was a, not only a good shot, but he had a strong bow. I don't know if you know, but have anybody ever shot bow and arrows? Anybody not ever shot, shot them? I've right, never shot them. There are all kinds of different weights, and there are all kinds of, uh, and, you know, the stronger you are, the more pounds you can, you can uh, handle. Uh, if you can't handle it, it'll hurt you. Don't get a bow that's too many pounds because um, you'll really get hurt. But he was able to handle this thing, and he was able to do it, and that, that uh, arrow just went right on through. And Jehu said to Bidkar, Bidkar his uh, captain, pick him up and throw him into the tract of the field of Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember when you and I were riding together behind Ahab his father, that the Lord laid this burden upon him? Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this plot says the Lord. Now therefore take and throw him on the plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. So when that word came before, Jehu was around. But when Ahaziah king of Judah saw this, he fled by the road to Beth Hagen. So Jehu pursued him and said, shoot him also in the chariot. And they shot him at the ascent of Ger, which is by Iblim. He fled to Megiddo and died there. And his servants carried him in the chariot to, Jer to Jerusalem and buried him in his tomb with his fathers in the city of David. So he sent other people to go after and to, with a bow and arrow, shoot Ahaziah. And uh, he didn't die right away. But when Jehu, one arrow, shot the king, what happened? He slumped over and died. He was, it was all over. Then he fled to, well, we said that. Uh, and his servants carried him in the chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in the tomb of his fathers in the city of David. In the eleventh year of Jerome, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah had become king over Judah. Now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through the window. Then as Jehu entered at the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? And he looked up at the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs looked up out at him. Then he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. And when he had gone in, he ate and drank. Then he said, Go now, see the... See to this accursed woman and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Every other stuff had come on by and had eaten her up. That quick. That's what the prophecy said. Therefore they came back and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground of Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuge on the surface of the field. And the plot of Jezebel, uh, Jezreel, so that they 
shall not say, Here lies Jezebel. Chapter 10. Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. 70 sons. 70 sons. We're not counting daughters. We're counting sons. If you had a 50-50 mix, that's 140 kids. I don't know what kind of a mix he had, but he had 70 sons. They were the ones that were in line for the, for the throne. Obviously, he had more than one wife. <laughs> That's a lot of kids. Now, as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city and also weapons, choose the best qualified of your master's sons. In other words, line up all seven and you pick out which one's going to be king. Set him on the father's throne and fight for your master's house. But they were exceedingly afraid and said, look, two kings could not stand up to, up to him. How then can we stand? And he who was in charge of the house and he who was in charge of the city, the elders also and those who reared the sons, sent to Jehu saying, we are your servants. We will do all you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. Then he's wrote a second letter to them saying, if you are for me and will obey my voice, take the heads of, your, of the men, your master's sons, and come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. Now the king's sons, 70 persons were with the great men of the city who were rearing them, raising them. So it was when the letter came to him that they took the king's sons and slaughtered 70 persons, put their heads in baskets, and sent them to him at Jezreel. It's a bloody chapter, isn't it? Then a messenger came and told him, saying, They have brought the heads of the king's sons. And he said, Lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. So it was in the morning that he went out and stood and said to all the people, You are righteous indeed. I conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these? <laughs> no, now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. So Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel and all his great men and his close acquaintances, and his priests, until he left none remaining. And he arose and departed and went to Samaria, on the way at Beth-Eked of the shepherds. How many people of the ones that he was supposed to wipe out did he wipe out? All of them. Compare this back over with Saul. Remember Saul was supposed to, he was sent out to wipe out a, a, a king. They were evil, and the people. And what happened when they came back? He said, I've been very vigilant for the Lord. I did what he said to do. And, and Samuel said, what's this bleeding of sheep that I hear? How come I hear? And, the, and the king was still alive. So he went and cleaned up the mess. But he, did, he, he took care of all of them. Jehu met with his brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and said, who are you? So they answered, we are the brothers of Ahaziah. This is not a good idea. That if a guy is on a rampage, he has killed your father, the king, he has killed the king of the northern tribes. He has killed all the sons associated with them. And you are the sons of the king of the, the southern tribes. And you say to the man who's done all this, we're the brothers of Ahaziah. We have come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. <laughs> and he said, take them alive. <laughs> so they took them alive and killed them at the wall of Beth Eked. Forty-two men. And he left none of them. Now when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rahab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him, said to him, Is your heart right? As my heart is toward your heart? And Jehonadab answered, It is, Jehu said. If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and he took him up in a chariot. 
And he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they, so they had him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. So how many of the remaining people of the house of Ahab did he kill? All. Now, how many of you think, man, this is a nasty God. That he, why is God doing all this? There's a lot of people being killed. Because, you know, we always hear that God is, Jesus came and he uh, preached a message of tolerance. Have you ever heard that? Christianity is a message of tolerance, as hogwash. We were listening to uh, Pastor Bob when he was talking about, uh, got on this topic, uh, when we were out there. And he said, uh, it, it is not very tolerant of a person who says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. That's not a person who's preaching tolerance. <laughs> that's, not a, that's a person who's preaching a very, that's a narrow, very narrow-minded person. God is a very narrow-minded person. You can come to me one way, the narrow way, through the narrow gate. Why? Because he's narrow-minded. This is the way. You may invent all kinds of other ways to get to God, but God says one way. What's the way? Through Jesus Christ. That's it. There is no other way. Being good enough, being born in the right house, all that sort of stuff, it's not going to do it. Now, Ahab had purposely gone away from God because he had let his wife do all that, but they also led the nation into idolatry, and they never recovered from it. They led other people. It is one thing when you sin yourself. It is another thing when you bring other people into it. It is another altogether when you bring a nation into it. Ahab brought a nation into this disobedience. If anyone had repented, what would God have done? We see it over and over again. Now, Ahab at one time did repent. And what did God say? All right, I'm still going to bring this judgment on your house, but I won't do it in your day. Because he repented. What would have happened if some of his sons repented? Remember Abraham's barter, bartering with, uh, for, for Lot? Would you destroy the whole city, the whole city if there was 50 righteous people? No, I won't destroy it for 50. Have a 45. Have a 40. <laughs> Have a 30. 20. 10? All right, I won't destroy the city. I won't destroy the whole city, the whole evil city. I'll let the whole evil city continue on if I find 10 people. And what did God find? Four. Four. So he told all those four they can come on out, and only three of them made it. <laughs> only three of them made it. And then he wiped out all the rest of them. Why does God do that? Because God gives people a chance to repent. But if they are bent on taking other people into the sin that they are doing, he will judge them to protect those that are his and those that are still innocent and are being led astray. And that's why he is judging the house of Ahab this way. And Jehu has picked up the heart of God and he says, I see your disdain for this type of stuff. I see it, and I disdain it as well. And he goes after it. This is why you and me and others disdain the media. Because they are not content in being evil themselves. They must spread it. This is why I disdain many people in politics, in positions of power. Because they are not content with being evil themselves, but they want to legislate the evil into this country. They want to lead the entire country into this. And they are to be disdained. God disdains them. 
I can show you countless people in the world, so many, that God says, I'm done with this one, wipe them out. Wipe them out. They are taking other people down with them. It's one thing if you want to be a sinner, and, and, and God will let you re reach an old age if, if you get there, as long as you're not bringing other people. But you start bringing other people, God starts looking at you differently. It's a different thing. All sin in the Bible is not equal. All sin, and I don't know whoever started preaching that, but it's nowhere in the Word of God. All sin is not equal. It is all very unequal. All sin is sin. Hogwash. That is not right. The sin of the Pharisees was far greater than the sin of the woman that was brought before Jesus who was caught in the very act of adultery. Why? Because they infected their sin into other people. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that one. Here to talk about Ahab. So I listed in your outline there all the folks that he, he went after. Uh, now, the one thing about Jehu, he is enthusiastic. <laughs> He's kind of enjoying this. How many of you, if you, were, if you um, were, had the call that Jehu had of wiping out all those people, how many of you would be enthusiastic about it? How many of you are going after this with everything? How many of you would be a little timid? That's just not really something that I want to do. Well, Jehu's cut out for this. God got the right guy. You know, some of us, we get on up there and say, man, I'm just, uh, I'm not cut out for this as much. And Charles Schwab said this, a man can succeed at almost anything for which he has unlimited enthusiasm. <laughs> I'd say that uh, Jehu qualifies for that. Norman Vincent Peale said, enthusiasm makes ordinary people extraordinary. And Jehu is certainly uh, coming upon this. Well, let's go on to the the other parts here. The first thing that we see here with Jehu is that he has zeal. He has zeal for the thing that God has called him to. He has zeal for the call. It is good to have zeal for the call that God has put on us. God has called each and every one of us to something. Maybe you're not called to wipe out a whole house like Jehu was. <laughs> Some of you are saying, thank God. But he has equipped you to do the thing that he has called you to do. He's equipped you for it. And you've got to have a zeal for that call. There are things, there are factors, there are people that will come along and try and take that zeal away. But you are still responsible to be zealous for what God has called you to do. If you pick up here in verse 18, we're going to see something else that he is zealous for. That he has zeal for the Lord. He is not only has zeal for his call, he has zeal for the Lord. You're going to see this in incredible ways. Then Jehu gathered all the people together and he said to them, Ahab served Baal a little. <laughs> he served Baal a lot, actually, but he's trying to show him something. Jehu will serve him much. Now, therefore, call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. Little known fact, of, I think some people know this, this fact about it, but my wife and I met and we first uh, almost started dating. We weren't quite there yet. Uh, I developed a new doctrine, which I called that uh, lying, is, uh, lying is different from temporary deception. Lying is not temporary because, you know, I was called into a place where I had to temporarily deceive her into thinking she was going to a place that she was not going to because they had a surprise birthday party for her and they wanted me to take her to it and we weren't even dating and I didn't really want to be dating anybody and she didn't want to be dating anybody and... So uh, I told her we were going someplace else and then took her to the birthday party, her birthday party. 
And then she said, you lied to me. I said, no, I was temporary deception. <laughs> See, it's right here in the Bible. Right here in the Bible. <laughs> he acted deceptively. Now, he's going to enlighten them in a little while, but just not yet. With the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu said, proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. And Jehu sent throughout all Israel and all the worshipers of Baal came so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal, and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, bring out vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out vestments for them. Then Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshipers of Baal, search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshipers of Baal. So they went in to offer their sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside. And he said, If any of the men who I have brought into your hands escapes, whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. So he's got 80 men all around outside. said, I've delivered these men into your hands. Now you make sure you get it done. Now it happened as soon as he had made an end of the offering, the burnt offering that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, Go in and kill them. Let none come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Guards and the officers threw them out, went into the inner rooms of the temple of Baal, and they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple of Baal and burned them. Then they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal, and they tore down the temple of Baal, and they made it a refuse dump to this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. He was not content to put a hurt on the worship of Baal. He wanted to destroy it. He made sure that we're going to let you know this is a huge feast offering for Baal. Y'all, everyone needs to be here. Make sure there's no one from the house of, of God here. We would do just one Baal. I want all the priests. I want all the people who serve him. I want everyone here. And when they were all here, they killed them all. He just desecrated the temple, made it a dung heap. No one's going to do this anymore. That is zeal. That is zeal. He was zealous for God. He wanted to make sure that this kind of stuff didn't happen. He killed the priest and destroyed the temple of Baal. Now, verse 29. He has been zealous for the call, he has been zealous for the Lord, but he lacked one thing. And that is verse 29. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were in Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done unto the house of Ahab all that was in, what? My heart. Your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who made Israel sin. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel and Hazael conquered them in the, all the territory of Israel. From the Jordan eastward and all the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, Manasseh, Eror, which is by the river Arnon, including Gilead and Bashan. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu, all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Jehu rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Jehoaz, his son, reigned in his place, and the period that Jehu reigned over Israel and Samaria was 28 years. His son's going to reign for a while. His son's going to reign for a while. The fourth generation is going to reign. And then Jehu's line is cut off because he lacked zeal in one area. He was not zealous for the word. He was not zealous to do what God had said. He had a zeal for his call. He had a zeal for the Lord to make sure that the false worship was, uh, veil was taken out. 
but it did not stem over to get rid of the false worship of the golden calves. The golden calves had some similarity to the worship of Jehovah, uh, sorry, Jehovah. A little bit of similarity, but not enough. And God said that's the sin of Jeroboam, and Jeroboam had set it up because he thought the people would go back to David, the house of David, so forth. He lacked zeal for the word. We can be zealous in all kinds of things. We've got to be zealous for the word. Here's the thing that, would, that could have come for Jehu. When Saul was anointed king, I'm just going to read these to you. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramoth. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. and it destroyed. I, I copied the wrong one. Um, you have to look it up then. God gave Saul a promise when he first missed it. I think it was over in um, chapter 17 or chapter 15. So I'm kind of in the middle there. Not sure why I, co- I copied those ones out. And what he said was, I would have established your household forever, but you didn't follow my commands. David's promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 15, but my, but my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever according to all these words and according to all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. That's David's promise of an enduring throne. 1 Kings 11, uh, verse 37. This is to Jeroboam. When Jeroboam was given to 10 tribes. So I will take you and you will reign over all your heart desires and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be if you heed, if you heed, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes, my commandments as my servant David did. Then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house. So I built for David. I will give Israel to you. Jeroboam was promised an enduring house. David was in promised an enduring house. Saul had the opportunity to have an enduring house. Jehu, if he would have followed the commands of God, probably would have been given the same promise that Jeroboam was given about having an enduring house for the northern tribes. But they did not have that zeal for the word of God. They lost that that part of it. We've got to have that zeal for the word. That whatever God has commanded us, we need to do. Jesus' first miracle comes to the wedding. They ran out of wine and the mom came brought Jesus in on it, and she said to him, a rat of wine, do something. And then she turns to the other guys that are there, and, say, and what does she say to them? Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. We've got to stop trying to second-guess God. Whatever he has said to us, we need to do it. doesn't matter if you agree with it. doesn't matter if you like it doesn't matter if you think it's important. If God has said to do it, what should you do? do it. If he said it in his word to do it, what should you do? do it. Whatever he, and if he commands you, if something comes up on your spirit and he says, I need you to do this, what should you do? Do it. He has commanded us to tithe. What should we do? Do it. Do it. When we are in the this, in this store, when we're in the neighborhood and God up on the inside of us says, go over to this one over here and give them what you have. What should you do? Do it. Do it. But I don't know why I should. But I don't know who they are. I don't know if they have a, really have a need. What does he say? If God comes up and tells you to do it, 
you should do it. Doesn't mean that everybody who comes in and asking you, you should do it for, but if the Spirit of God says, I'll come up on the inside of you. See that person over there? Go over there and help them. What should you do? Do it. But yeah, but I don't have, do it. It's important. We need to be zealous for our call. We need to be zealous for the Lord. We need to be zealous to do his word. Jehu was good on two of these things, missed it on the third, and had problems because of it. Started losing things that were, he started losing part of the land to Hazael, king of Syria, because he was not doing what God said to do. Put this in your outline. If you use what you have to increase you alone, then others are blocked from using what they have to increase you. You have got some stuff. God has blessed you with some, some stuff. You have got some seed. If you don't, what's the word of God tell us about seed? He will provide seed for the sower. But you got to be a sower, and he'll give you seed. But I don't have anything. The woman at, at the back of the church, Jesus is over there counting what people are putting in, right? He's counting what people are putting in. He saw the one woman come by, and she put in what? Two mites. So he saw what she put in. She put in two mites. He said that woman gave such a little amount, I don't even know why she bothered putting it in there. No, that's not what he said. <laughs> he said she put in more than all because they gave out of their abundance, she gave out of her poverty. And he didn't go over and take it out and give it back to her. He says, no, that's good. She needed to do that. Poor people need to give as much as rich people. I'll say that again. Poor people need to give as much as rich people. And when God says, give this, he's trying to open the door up for you to get blessed. The blessing of God is never intended to bless you alone. It's intended for you to bless others. And if you don't keep the cycle going, he can't keep giving it to you because you shut it down. He doesn't want you to shut it down. He wants you to give. Remember that story we looked at? The man who received forgiveness for this huge debt and he went out and would not forgive someone else? He shut it down. When he shut it down, what happened to the huge forgiveness he had received? He lost it. Again, that's a parable. Jesus made up the story. It means every detail he created. He didn't have to adjust the story. He made up the story to, to bring about what he wanted to do. What's he saying to us? You make sure you keep giving. Don't stop. Because you keep giving, you keep opening up the opportunity for me to do it. But it's only a quarter. It's only a dollar. It's only five dollars. Give it. Don't sit there and judge the amount. God will call you to give what you have. Remember Peter, chapter 3 of Acts? Such as I have, I give. You cannot give what you don't have. Don't do that. People are on the TV, other places, they try and give what you don't have. Oh, if you don't have it, just put it on your credit card. No, you give what you have. And God will work with that. God will work with it. He'll do some good things for you. Now, here's the thing. God has given you a gift. How many saw the, faith, the Facebook question we put up on the website today? Anybody answer it? <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Get another. I put it in the bulletin too. I want, you to see, I want to see some response from you. I want to see what's going on with you. God has given you a gift, a talent or a minor to do work in the kingdom. He's given you something to do some work in the kingdom, right? When you use it to increase the kingdom, it will work much better to increase you. When you use what God has given you to increase the kingdom, it will work much better to increase you. 
the gift that God has put on, in you can increase you as much as it can also increase the kingdom. But make sure that your, your focus is on increasing the kingdom. Now, what do we mean by all this? It's simple. Is what you do for the kingdom of God so important to you that you won't change it, alter it in any way to benefit the kingdom? We need to always take the gift that God has put in us and use it in the best way for the kingdom. Paul, when he set out to teach people about the, the church, he adjusted the message to the people so that they would, they would get benefit from it. He would go in there. He'd find out what they had going on. He uh, would come in there with the power of God. He, would, he, would, he changed along the way so that he could reach the most people. He took the gift that God had put in him and he used it. How is the... See, it's a gift. God has given us a gifting, but our personality sometimes messes with the gift. And we have to work to get our personality out of the way and let the gift come on through. If your personality is messing with the gift coming through and people receiving it, change the, the part that your personality is getting in, in there with. You need to change it. But God has given you some giftings. God has given you some things. It will work better to increase you if you use it to increase the kingdom. Now, you know, some, some folks, well, I'm not, I can't teach the word of God. I can't play an instrument. I can't lead people in worship. And, you know, I, I, they, we find all these different things that we look at. And I'm not a prophet. I'm not an apostle. I'm not these kind of things. So I really don't have any gift to increase the kingdom. Sure you do. Absolutely you do. Because whatever God has given you, he's given you for the purpose of benefiting you and benefiting the kingdom of God. You've got to find out from God how can I use this to benefit the kingdom? How can, I, how can I use this to benefit the kingdom? What can I do? Now, some people, maybe they can't teach the word of God so, so well. Maybe they can't play an instrument. Maybe they can't lead in worship. Maybe they, you know, they're all the list they can't do. But one of the things you can do is you can greet people. You can make people feel real at ease. What should you do? Man, I'm going to be a greeter in the house of God. People come through, they're going to be greeted. <laughs> they're going to be greeted. And if somebody comes to you and says, you know what, you could be an even better greeter if you did this. What do you do? do Get offended and stop? Do it. Oh, really? I could be better if I do. Oh, all right, I'm going to be a better greeter. Maybe you're an usher. Maybe you're, a, I mean, there's all kinds of things. Maybe you're a business person. And you can use those business talents to either uh, raise money or business talents to, to help that aspect of the church. Maybe there are some people that have talents for marketing. And you know what the, the biggest question that the church faces today? How do we reach the young people? Well, you've got a gift in marketing. What can you do? We can develop ways of reaching the young people. Right? Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff we could do. What is the gift that you have? And then you seek after God. God, how can I use it? Because when you start using the gift that you have for the benefit of the kingdom, it will benefit you even more. And it will benefit you. God wants it to benefit you. Too many times people have this idea that the proper attitude with God is that whatever you do benefits everyone else and not you. Have you heard that? That if you really want to be spiritual, whatever you do should not benefit you at all. It should just benefit other people. That is wrong. That's not even Bible. That's not even what the Bible teaches. You got to get this other super spiritual attitude. We should just love other people and despise yourself. 
We should, we should we give everybody first place, and then, you know, we some fit somewhere down the, the rung. No. What's Jesus? Jesus himself taught us on the idea of love. What do you say? Love others as? If you despise yourself, how are you going to love other people? The same way. You're going to despise them the same way you do you. No, it's okay to love yourself. Do you know it's also okay to buy stuff for yourself? Do you know that? It's okay. But we get that super spiritual attitude. No, I just need to go to work and take all my money and just give it. No, that's wrong too. That's not what God did. That's not what God demonstrated to do. We can spend time on that and, and prove it to you, but it's, it's not it. No, you can be benefited by the things that you do. God does not mind you having stuff. He minds it when the stuff has you. He minds it when you start working for the stuff, stop working for him. God wants to bless you with stuff. That's all right. But he blesses you for the purpose of blessing other people. You can only bless other people if you have stuff to bless them with. Got to have some stuff. Then you can help bless other people. Glory to God. What's your gift? What's your gift? We put up uh, an article on Facebook uh, a number of weeks ago. I was interested to see what the response was. Uh, my wife did some further research on it and saw that the article actually came from a place they did, uh, what would you call them? The satires. And so the whole thing actually might be a satire. But I thought it was really intriguing. This uh, church, supposedly, this megachurch, sent out letters to certain members of their church who were not helping. They weren't serving in any capacity. They weren't doing anything in the church. They weren't doing anything for the kingdom of God outside of the church. They were not tithing. They were not, done nothing. They, they showed up. They utilized the resources of the church. And then they went home. They weren't growing. They weren't developing. And so they sent them this letter. And this letter said, it might be time for you to find another church. Which actually is not a bad idea because if we're not inspiring you to do the stuff that you need to do, then we go find someplace that will. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I know it, it, we got all kinds of responses. And first off, I don't know that that's necessarily a, a, a letter that a church would send out. <laughs> and we're not contemplating sending out letters like that either. Thank God we have more people involved. <laughs> and if you're not involved here, you're involved else, elsewhere doing things for the kingdom of God. And that's just great. But that's how you grow. You grow by being involved. So that we, I didn't put that up there because I was suspicious that we had people who weren't in, involved in things. I tell people the amount of folks that we have in this church who tithe, and I blow them completely out of the water. They don't believe that a church anywhere, small, big, whatever, has that many people tithing. You guys are unbelievable. You guys are great. Doing, you're just following what I we, we don't. We don't need to write a letter like that. <laughs> Thank God. But I want you to go, I put it up there because I want us to be thinking. If you are not using what God has put in you for the kingdom, whether in the church or outside the church, just using it for the kingdom, you are a drain on the kingdom. And that's not good. But you see, not only are you a drain on the kingdom, you are not helping yourself grow. You know how you get more revelation on the word of God? Giving it to others. I learn more stuff about the Word when I talk to other people about what I know. I learn more stuff about the Word that way. Word of God says, you know, if you uh, uh, seek first the kingdom of God, what will, he do? what will He do? Add all these other things. So what should be number one on your priority list to do? Seek the kingdom of God. And if our number one priority is to seek ourselves, we have messed up from the Word of God. And we as a church ought to correct people and pull them into the right spot to go. 
Once again, we're not planning on writing any of those letters, and I don't think any of those letters went out, but I want you to be thinking about this. It is important that you take what God has put on the inside of you and you work for the kingdom, whether in a church, outside of a church, where you work, in your neighborhood, in your somewhere. You need to be serving God. You need to be taking what God has put on the inside of you and using it in places outside. You need to. You will not grow if you don't do it. You'll stagnate. And if you stagnate, guess what happens? Now, the example I use with a few people I talk to about it, who would ask me about it, remember Jesus gave out 10 minus? Actually, he gave out a lot of minus. He just talked about 10 people. He gave it to one. He said, I took the one. I gained 10. Good for you. Here's 10 cities for you. Took the other one. I took one. I got five. Good for you. You get five cities. I got, well, I was afraid. So I took my one. And I put it in a handkerchief. And here it is. Just what you have. And what did he say to him? You wicked servant, take what he's got and cast him out in outer darkness. I don't think he had a real good view of people who sat on their gift. Don't sit on your gift. It's important that you know what it is. It's important that you put it to work and you develop yourself. It develops you. It develops the kingdom of God. God's happy. You're happy. And God open, and it opens the door for God to bless you. And if God blesses you, what can you do? Bless other people. And then when you get blessed more, what can you do? Bless even more people. Yeah, God has called us to be a blessing. In order to be a blessing, you must first be blessed because you cannot give what you do not have. You got to have it. God wants you to have it. Glory to God. Heard a story about Eugene Ormandy. He said, uh, this is Halford Lukak. No idea who that is. He said, I was impressed several years ago that Eugene Ormandy dislocated a shoulder while leading the Philadelphia Orchestra. I do not know what they were playing, certainly not Mozart, perhaps Stravinsky. <laughs> but at any rate, he was giving all of himself to it. And I have to ask myself, sadly, did I ever dislocate anything, even a necktie? <laughs> yeah, Eugene Normandy, he was, uh, he was animated. Ricardo Muti, if you ever saw him, he was even more animated. Oh, I love watching. I just like watching him conduct the Philadelphia Orchestra. It was so much fun. Give it your all. You are in this kingdom. You're in the kingdom of God, and God has given you something to use in this kingdom. When you use it for the kingdom, God is then able to bless you even more. Don't let people discourage you from using what you have for the kingdom. Don't let people talk you out of your zeal or your enthusiasm. The place your enthusiasm, the place your zeal comes from is within you. It is not from other people. And as long as you let other people talk you out of what God has called you to do, you will have problems. You need to talk yourself into it. There will be a world of people around talking you out, doing what God has said to do. That's all right. You get, you go to God. You get enthusiastic. <laughs> you get zealous. Be zealous for the Lord. Be zealous for his call. But be zealous for his word. Because if you're not, they'll take away from the rest. Whatever he says, written or spoken, whatever he says to you, do it. Just do it. Just do it. If God says to you, I need you to be a blessing to this person, yeah, but $5 is not much of a blessing. Don't question God. If $5 is what you got in your pocket, give them the, give the find out. If God says it, if God says it, yeah. Because God will sometimes just stir you up on it. But I don't have anything. I know. I'm trying to get stuff to you. 
I need you to sow. Sow. But $5, what really could that do? See. Sow it. Sow it. Too many times we want to be on the receiving end. We're not willing to be on the sowing end first. <laughs> it's hard to do that. Be on the sowing end. Find someone to give something to. Go back over to Ruth again just to remind you. Ruth, how, how much money did she have? None. She's poor. She's over there gleaning, gleaning the, uh, the wheat. What did she sow? Kindness. What did she reap? Because of the kindness. What did she reap? A rich husband. <laughs> what did she become? A rich wife. <laughs> How much money did she have when she started? How much money did she sow? Nothing. What did she sow? It doesn't always have to be money. God will call you to sow what you have. Always, every day, look for an opportunity to sow. Money, kindness, forgiveness, mercy, whatever it is. Sow what you have, and more will come. We've got to sow what we have. There's an aspect to a couple of these stories we did. We completely glossed over and completely went past it. We're going to get into it next week. It is one of the more important aspects of becoming a blessing, becoming blessed so that you can be a blessing. This one aspect I would say most people have completely forgotten about or don't even know exists. But there's an example of a person who ignored this simple principle and went from rich to poor because they did not follow this principle. They even had an opportunity to repent and turn back, and they didn't do it. Well, let's ponder on that, figure out who it is. We're going to get into them next week, along with a couple others. It's not just demonstrated in one person. It's demonstrated in quite a few. We told you, if the Word of God has a principle that you need to live by, it is taught clearly and often, and it is demonstrated. It is taught clearly, it is taught often, and it is demonstrated. If it's done that, then it is a principle you are to live by. We're going to show you this. You're going to see it is taught clearly, it is demonstrated, it is taught often, and it's something that we need to have a, a, a part of what we're doing. So we'll get into that next Sunday. Thank you all for, for uh, listening. I hope these things are helping you out. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Last, last time we were together, we were talking about the prodigal son, and some of you raised your hand as you had kind of viewed God the way the older son was viewing the father. You were kind of hurt, feeling that God had forgotten you, forgotten you, had, had left you out, and we prayed for you. And I hope you're beginning to see some of those things turn around. It's us that has to do the taking. God says, here, this is all out here for you. I, I want you to take it. I want you to use it. God has given you a gift. God has given you opportunities. There are harvest opportunities all around us, but they take faith, they take action, they take pursuit. You will have to go after them. They don't fall in your lap. You have to go after them. You have to work for it. You have to exercise faith in it. You have to believe. The examples we've been going through all this time, these are people, it didn't just fall on their, their lap. They had to do something. They had to act. They had to, they had to leave some stuff. They had to believe some things. It's coming for you. God has not forgotten you. There's not a soul on this earth that God views as unimportant. If we have the viewpoint that we are unimportant, unimportant, it's because we are right now like the older son. Stop being an older son. 
Get ready to ask some shameless things of God. Father God, I got this need. <laughs> I don't know how you can do it, <laughs> but here it is. And let God help you out. Right. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us to turn our lives around, to turn our lives into a place of blessing, to turn ourselves into someone that you can use to bless others. We can bless others with kindness. We can bless others with wisdom. We can bless others with the knowledge of God that you have given us. We can bless others with the money that you have put into our lives. Father, we can follow the voice of God. When you say to do something, we can do it. Sometimes you're going to ask us to do some things that are a stretch. They'll seem hard. But we know it came from you, and we'll be obedient, and we'll do it. But as with the example of Jehu, it is not good enough to be zealous for the call and zealous for the worship of the Lord to get rid of some of the false stuff that's around. We also have to be zealous for your word and not pursue any type of false worship, but to be zealous for the word, the written word and the spoken word. And if we do this, oh, you can, you can bring about an abundant blessing on us. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.